uh, deal with the uh, issues of legal actors in civil law systems and compare them with the practices in common law countries. And then the second half, we'll talk about uh, more development of our moot court uh, cases. <coughs> I assume both sides have uh, met and exchanged email addresses. I know the prosecution has for sure. The defense, if you haven't, please do do that. Um, what I'm going to do today is give a series of questions that would serve like a bench memo. Uh, the judge is going to give you a bench memo. How many judges are here today? Okay. All of you will uh, provide what is basically a set of legal questions that you think are in dispute. I'm going to give you some of the ones I think are in dispute, but not all of them. And in any event, um, this will stimulate your thinking. It should also stimulate thinking on both sides of how you look at the legal questions and what factual questions are going to be very, very uh, crucial in this process. All right, first dealing with <coughs> legal actors, uh, this builds on the uh, discussion last time of the different structures, both in terms of their constitution types, prime ministerial, presidential, and semi-presidential systems that we talked about, as well as the structure of the court systems uh, France has that unique system where about half of the constitutional issues are, de are decided by an executive branch agency, the Council of State, which you'll recall uh, emerged from the late 17th century period. And so its judges come, as this chapter 3 tells us, from the public administration school, which prepares people for executive civil service in the French state. Um, and that famous school in France, as you don't have to know this, but it's called the INA, École Nationale d'Administration, the National School of Public Administration. And most of the major politicians and senior civil service in France have come from the ENA, as it's called in French. But there, there is also a body it tries to, uh, it's called a tribunal, essentially, in France, which determines do constitutional cases go to the highest court in France, which is the Cour de Cassation, the court of breaking, literally. Cassé is to break in French. Uh, I guess the idea is that they will break up all the disagreement and solve it uh, on the highest court of the land, the decisions of the cases what we would, we would call a Supreme Court. But on France's system being unique, um, uh, the Council of State may get these questions uh, pertaining to constitutionality for new laws before they go take effect. Um, and what the tribunal does is decide, well, this case ought to go to the Council of State or this state ought to go to the court de cassation, largely on the basis of whether it's public law or private law. Civil law countries historically emerged with a robust private law, which was regarded as quasi-apolitical and therefore not controversial. Um, and the Council of State only deals with constitutional questions that we would consider constitutional for the most part. And uh, it's only for laws that are about to take effect and only can the decisions only apply before the laws take effect. So from our point of view, the disadvantage is they don't have the practical experience of seeing how it's working. And conflicts that emerge as a result of a new law 
can't be decided on a constitutional basis in France from the Council of State. So they have a much less role for judicial review. On the other hand, England has no judicial review at all. They have complete legislative supremacy. Um, the Council of State got this power to decide on some constitutional uh, issues on pre-promulgation of new laws before they take effect, uh, largely because also they have this idea of legislative supremacy built into the French Revolution, which was a reaction both by the revolutionaries in 1789 and then during the regime de terreur, the terror regime, or the, uh, the Jacobin terror with the guillotine and the chopping off the heads of anyone who's regarded as not supporting the revolution. And then the reaction to that with the restoration of a kind of monarchy. All of them were opposed to judges because the judges in France in the ancien regime, the, the former regime, that is the monarchy, the theologically uh, legitimated Louis XVI and his, his ascendants, uh, the judges were coming, becoming independent, making all kinds of interpretations to bring up to date the legal system that had been developed from the French codes that were emerging uh, after the reception of Roman law in medieval Europe and in France in particular. Uh, so the idea in France was you, know, you don't have what we have, which is three branches of government. Uh, probably the Supreme Court is the strongest in the sense that it has the last say, but it only has the last and final say, A, if everyone obeys what it decides, and B, only on issues that get there, which are not all that many issues, about 50 a year now. And they're only issues that get there if they raise constitutional questions in the United States. But most constitutional questions of everyday life are decided. So in terms of power, in terms of affecting everyday life, the Supreme Court is the weakest branch. As I think it was Hamilton in the Federalist Papers regarded the Supreme Court, even though they did envision a role for the judicial review in the United States, the idea was it would be judicial review over very narrow questions. So yes, the Supreme Court is the most powerful in the, final, in the sense that if it's obeyed and it's supposed to be obeyed and it rules, that's it. No other branch of government can overrule it, if, if it's based on the Constitution, that is. If it's based on interpretation, and then, of course, the legislative branch can overrule the US Supreme Court. And if it's a question of international law, uh, and it's based on, not on treaty, but customary international law. This is for those of you who are interested. Um, the legislature can also overrule the Supreme Court. Uh, in effect, the Supreme Court often invites the US Congress to overrule it, in effect, by restating what is interpreted to apply to the United States uh, in contradiction to uh, what is claimed to be international law. So this came up, for example, when the Supreme Court ruled in the Rasul case that there's a right to habeas corpus uh, and that they had to have substantial review, the, uh, the detainees were given less rights by the US Congress, overturning the US Supreme Court's decision because it was based on customary international law. They could do that. That's, that's, this is background. I don't expect you to memorize or learn this. But I, if for those of you who are interested, it's useful to understand how, these, how complex these go. So in France, it's legislative supremacy. But in England, it's, it's even more legislative supremacy because there's no constitutional review. That is, no judicial review. That's the term for reviewing the consistency 
of a particular uh, decision with of other courts or of Congress or executive acts, consistency with the Constitution. There's no written Constitution in England, uh, and there's no highest court with the power to say uh, this is inconsistent with the Constitution. The only thing the highest court in England can do, and they're just getting a brand new building, used to be just in a room in the House of Lords within the Parliament buildings in Westminster. Um, what they can uh, do is say, you know, this is the, the, the right and correct legal interpretation of what the words mean. That they can do on appeal, as any court would do. Now, a further amendment to that is since 1998, when England ratified the, the convention, the protocol to the Convention on Human Rights for Europe, they now have a European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, France, France and uh, in that court, English laws are held to the human rights standards, which would include the kinds of standards we have in our Bill of Rights, which are now the first 10 amendments of our US Constitution as trumps against the way the courts operate. All right, the first thing the chapter discusses is legal education. The uh, similarities and differences are remarkably, uh, similarities are few, differences are large, okay? If this was an undergraduate law faculty in the continent of Europe and you were civil law students, um, according to the book and generally the rule of thumb, this could be a classroom of four, 100, 200, 100 students, I would be lecturing to you. It would be a deductive logic explanation. I would go from the top of the system down to the specifics. Um, so I would lecture you in your first week of class on the, the, the basic codes, you know, private law code. In the old days, there wouldn't be much on public because the government law was l relatively limited. Um, you know, then the procedures. There might be a criminal code, which would be part of, depending on the country, it could be part of the public code. You could have private or civil code. These would be the codes. And then you would have either criminal procedure or civil procedure. And then we would, you know, break the branches down. I'd be better, more skilled at it because this would be my bread and butter. Uh, it would be mostly exp an exposition of the meanings of the codes, the first the general principles, the purpose of the system, uh, and you would be getting a very th more theoretical education than you would be getting in a common law country. And essentially the role of the educational process, one sec, could you not do that here please? Thank you. No electronic devices during class, but just as a favor, thank you. That distracts me. Um, the, the, the derivation of the civil law approaches are based on the way uh, the legal systems evolved, right? So in the civil law systems, it was the scholars or the professors that wrote the codes and then interpreted the codes over, this, over the years. I, if I was a, a, a law professor in Europe, I would be a hugely prestigious figure. Um, I, would have, I would have enormous power because I would be able to tell the entire profession what the explanation and interpretation of the laws of the country, France, Germany, 
uh, or the other systems using those same models, what those particular uh, words mean. Uh, and the scholars who are basically professors in universities write in the way that the uh, reading that you have from the Best Way Binder, which I'm urging you to take a look at. I know it's more difficult. You're not used to it. I haven't been going over great details because I want to make sure the moot court gets off on the right foot. But I'll be returning to the text uh, for most of the rest of the classes once we get this moot court arguments underway and you're thinking along the lines. But I'm referring to the text. Uh, such as the general principles that we talked about, the material element, the contextual element, and the mental element. Um, and if you look at the reading uh, of, of that German author interpretation of criminal law on a civil law basis, you'll see how it's very, very systematic. Uh, it goes from the general to the specific. It explains what the words mean, what the contradictory or competing language is, what arguments can be made, where the uncertainty is in the law because it's not clear in the text or hasn't been clarified in other court cases. Uh, 